going on, everybody? Hey, hey, hey. Hey, I'm DJ. This is Jason here. And uh, we just want to say thank you guys so much uh, for, for just being here. And we also want to say thank you to Pastor Tom. Because late, earlier this week, what we did is we went up to Pastor Tom and we said, Pastor Tom, we, we've got a great idea about marriage. And uh, we, we believe we just have a lot of wisdom. And uh, we do. we've got a lot of knowledge because we're smart guys. Right. And we know what we're talking about. And uh, we said, can we talk about marriage? Yes. And he was skeptical. He was like, yes. I don't know, maybe. Deb uh, said absolutely not. But Deb said absolutely not. not but Pastor to Tom, he was like, I don't know. We said, look, how about this? We'll come up with a plan. We'll have it all written out. Yes. We'll make sure that it's it's right. We'll we'll just we'll do all the reading and information right. we need to know, and uh, we'll be ready for it. Yes. And he, he told us we could. Right. Right. And so today, we're, we just want to talk to uh, to you about marriage. Marriage. We're going to talk about the ultimate marriage. So how everybody wants a better marriage, right? Right. But how do we get there? How do we do it? How do we have a better marriage? I'm going to show you right here. Bam! Work. Work. Work, work is how you get there, now, people. Now, how do we get work? I'll tell you how. Marriage takes It work. takes work. If you don't know that, you're going to learn. Right. So I hope everyone here is noticing a common theme, and that theme is work. So what Jason and I have done is we've taken the word work and put it into an acrostic. Now for everybody out there that doesn't know what an acrostic is, it's where you take one word and make lots of different words out of that one word. Yes. It's really awesome. We just found out about it. Okay, so what we're going to do, let's we're going to start with W. Okay, w let's go. Start really, dude? Look, you got an earring. That's cute. You like that really, that, We don't got okay. time for that. Anyway, we're trying to... All right, all right. W stands for work. work. You're working this way. You're working that way. You're working the double time, people. Double work. And really... This work is for the ladies. Let me give you a prime example, ladies. Um, when I, as the husband, you know, I come home from a, a long day at my job or an excruciatingly long day at basketball practice, what I want to have is a seat, a sandwich, and a soda. Go ahead, take notes on that. Seat, sandwich, soda, just like that, three S's. Yes. Now, here we go, diagram form. When I go down and I'm, I'm sitting in my recliner, this is my cup of soda right here, okay? And you see this line? This is what we call the refill line. Okay, and so what, what you do is I'm sitting there in the couch, and I'm watching the game, and then you see my soda start to get to the refill line. So what you want to do is you want to run on into the kitchen, start getting a refill going, and you're going to be all good. Now you see this line? This little arrow is what we refer to as the no zone. We're not going to talk about the no zone because you ladies don't want to get us to the no zone. But instead, what you want to do is when you see our soda start getting to this refill line, you just go on into the kitchen, start getting a refill going. And if you do that, ladies, there's going to be something special for you, like a little rice cake yeah, or something yeah. But TJ, TJ, listen. But there's a lot of work guys have to do around the house. Like for an extension, it's a yard. Thank the you. yard. Thank you. Like it takes a lot of work to pick up the phone and call somebody Thank to you. the yard. Right. Or talking to the neighborhood yeah, kids. They're brats. They yeah, they're are. hustlers. These are some business savvy children that we have. I can't stand them. You know what? Work isn't all that we have. Yeah. We also have, oh, let's move on. Yeah, to let's o. move on. Let's Ola go. Is Olay. Oh, this is a good one. Yes. Olay is this, this method that we've come up with that Jason, in fact, has directly infused into his yes. marriage. And uh, Jason, will you explain I the will. Olay method? I will right here. I have taken the word Olay, which is a Latin word that means bravo, or it means job well done. And I have directly infused it into my marriage every single day. Mm. For, for an example, when my wife is in the kitchen and she's doing those dirty dishes and just getting down, mm. I walk in, I'm saying, wife, Olay, mm. my love, Olay. You know, Olay, my love, thank you for picking up the kids again. Yes. Olay, my love, thank you for refilling my soda. Olay, guys, I give you a 100% guaranteed satisfactory. If you try the Olay method tonight, 
you'll see instant oh. dividends. <laughs> instant, mm. promise you. Let's All right, move let's on. move on to R. R stands for really, really try. try. You mm. have to really try. You've got to really try to make this thing work because you can't go into your marriage the same way I went into my basketball career, where at age 13 you can't even shoot a layup. You got to really try to make this thing work. You got to put in the work, fellas. Mm. Number you got K, to. shall we? Number yeah, K. Let's, let's move All on. right, K stands for quality time. Mm. This is people. Big. This quality is huge. time. Quality time. Now, Jason, he's a genius. This mastermind of a man right here, my coworker, has Thank come you. up with a graph, okay? And now he's going to explain this to you. Yes. This is a man's 24 day. Okay, will you explain this graph? So, this is a man's 24 hour day. And I'm going to break it down for you, fellas. Here in the pink, we have sleep, very gotta important. Right here, we have work, sucks, which sucks. Important. You got to do it. Yeah. Here is football time. Today's Super Bowl Sunday. So, this is very important today, you fellas. Can go ahead. So, Super yep. Bowl Sunday. Then, when halftime hits, nobody likes a halftime show, fellas. You got to take a take little nap. Me... So, you got nap here, and then you got Xbox time. Well, let me pause you right there Xbox, PS5, Nintendo Switch. It doesn't matter. The console. It doesn't matter. You got to guard that time. You yes. got to make sure that's in there. Now, Jason, can I ask you a question? Yes. What is this small little orange sliver? This little sliver right here, fellas, is the quality time, mm. if you know what I'm talking about. This is the five-minute window you have to do every single day to get the quality work. It's not about quantity. It's about quality. Mm, thank you. You're See, welcome. if you will take five minutes, guys, we're not asking much. That's it. It's five minutes. Five. That's it. That's not my like, one, two, three, four, five. That's it. Five minutes. If you will take five minutes every day and you will put this into your marriage, what's going to happen is you're going to create this sense of mystery where your wife goes, who is this person? <laughs> who is this man? Yeah. I don't know. Women love mystery. Yes. They love mystery novels. They love mystery movies. They love mystery men. Women want a mystery man. Yes, you got to take this information and reveal it in yourself over a long period of time. Mm. And if you do that every day, every week, every month, every year, every decade, by the time you get to your 40th wedding anniversary, guys, imagine it with me. Your wife's across the table. She looks nice. Mm. You look nice. You guys are eating nice fancy food. And she looks across from you and she says, you like Italian food? <laughs> Your middle name is what? what? Your favorite color is what? Yes. How did I not know? Who is this guy? It's about the mystery, fellas. Yes. And so what you're doing is you're creating a marriage onion. And there's layers upon layers. And the more layers you take apart, the more tears you get. And the more tears yes. you get, the more weeping you get. And the more weeping you get, the closer you get to, to the ultimate marriage. marriage. Hey, thank you guys so much. I hope you were taking notes because you will change lives today. Thank you. Well, good morning, Five Stones Church. Who's excited to be in the house today? So glad that you are, and I want to look right in the camera and welcome joining us on the other side of computer screens all over the place. You are welcomed here. If you can't be here in the building, we are so glad that you can be part of our family via live stream. And one more time, Five Stones, will you put your hands together and welcome your church family? So glad that you're here. Week two, we're calling It's Complicated. It's complicated. Relationships can be complicated, but they don't have to be. It, it is absolutely complicated. I hope you heard last Sunday as we kicked off this series, but if you weren't here to hear that, you could just do one of two things. You can go online and watch that on our webpage or YouTube page, or you could just take whatever you just heard right there and do the exact opposite. That would be, that would be super helpful. I, I appreciate Tom and, uh, and thank you.
drop out there. Uh, all of that enlightening information that um, we will not incorporate into our marriages at all. Hey, listen, I, if you're married here today, or if you'd like to be married one day, I want you to say this out loud with me. Say, I can have the greatest marriage in this room. You can have the greatest marriage in this room. I believe you absolutely can. Now, in the weeks to come, we're going to talk a little bit more about dating, about being single, and about fighting fair. We're going to talk about all of these things. But we're, we're de- jumping in with this concept of marriage today a little bit further. And uh, I absolutely believe that you can have the greatest marriage in this room. I think that's what God wants for you. Um, but it, it can be complicated, right? Relationships, we can make them complicated. Has this ever happened to you? Maybe this happened to you before. Um, one time, it was about 3 o'clock in the morning, and I woke up from a dead sleep. We were dead asleep, and all of a sudden, this giant screaming noise came through from the living room. And so I got up, and I ran into the living room to find out what it was. Everybody in the house just woke up, this screaming noise. It was the smoke alarm going off. And I I looked around for the smoke, looked to try and see where the fire was, and there was no fire, and there was no smoke. It was just the the, the smoke alarm had malfunctioned. Has that ever happened to you? And and, and I always wonder, why is it that that happens at 3 in the morning and not like 3 in the afternoon? Like, why does it always have to happen at that point? But it was, it was going off, and, and it was for no reason. And I think sometimes when alarms do that to us, we have a tendency to tune out alarms because of that fact. And maybe you have, have been at the mall, and uh, you're going in, and you hear that, that car alarm going off. Let me ask you this. Is your first thought that, that somebody's car is being broken into? Or do you think, like I do, that, well, somebody's lost their car, and so they're hitting their button to try and find it, and their alarm has gone off, right? I think they call that mall timers when you lose your car at the mall. I've dealt with that before. I think sometimes these alarms in our lives go off like that, and as a result of them going off as a malfunction, we tend to tune out alarms in our lives. It's like on the dashboard of your car. You might look on the dashboard, and you've got all of those little lights that pop up, right? What do they call those? Dummy lights, right? Because it's time to fix that dummy. You know, I mean, like, that's what it is for me. And, and and there's sometimes there's that one indicator light that you don't want to leave for very long, right? It's the one that says low fuel, right? You don't want to leave that one for very long on, there, or otherwise something dramatic is going to happen. And I really feel like there's a lot of marriages in this church and, and in the world around us that have been running on fumes for a long time. And they've been ignoring that. And if you're not careful, if you don't do something about that, you're going to experience the, the dramatic impact of, of, that, of leaving that off. Um, and so those dashboard indicator lights, maybe in your marriage, have been going on for a while. And maybe a couple others have been popping up. Or maybe, maybe your dashboard is clear and you have been seeing that as a blank. But you know that it's regular maintenance over time that will keep you out of the shop and keep you on the road where you want to be. And so that's what we're going to talk a little bit today about, about some of those alarms that may have been going off in your life and in your marriage. And God's, I believe God's design for everyone's marriage is that it's incredible. And the reason why I think that it, you really can't have the ultimate marriage is because God was the one that designed marriage. He didn't just design it, he created it, and he was there at the very first one ever that existed. The very first marriage that ever existed, God was right there. And it was a really interesting first marriage for our, our first parents because um, they both were getting married to somebody they've never met in their entire lives, right? And they were also showing up naked. 
Right? I mean, it was, it was an interesting country wedding, right? There was, there was no photographer around. There was no big cake, no beautiful dress for her, no suit for him, unless you count his birthday suit, right? And, and, and they showed up at this wedding. They've never met each other before, and God was there acting not only as the father of the bride, walking his bride down the aisle, but he was also the pastor overseeing the ceremony. And Adam and Eve saw each other for the first time, and Adam's words are recorded in the book of Genesis. Now, he really needed to get this one right, right? Because Eve was literally the only woman on the planet. <laughs> if he messes this up, like life on this planet comes to a screeching halt pretty quickly. And his words are recorded in the book of Genesis. And it's almost as if he sings these words. Like he looks at his blushing bride and you, as, he, as he says these words, you can almost hear him gasp. And I just want to say, this is how God designed it. This is how God wanted our marriage. Like, if you ever want to know how God thinks about a certain thing, there's a way of studying Scripture that's called the law of first mention. And you can just go back in Scripture, and you can look to see what God has to say about a given thing. Now, don't don't look to see what man has to say, because man's going to insert his opinions about marriage or relationships or all those kind of things. And we, we have a tendency to jack these things up. But if you want to find out how God feels about a particular thing, then you just go back in Scripture and you find the place where God mentions it. And that's what he does in Genesis chapter 1. He, in chapter 2, he is talking about the marriage relationship. And I want you to see that God sets this up. It's absolutely beautiful. It's absolutely perfect. Adam was the only man on the planet. Eve was the only woman. And so here's the question. With no other human beings on the planet Earth, who was Adam's standard of comparison? Who was Eve's standard of, of beauty or comparison there? There was, there was nobody else there. They only had one another to compare each other to. And this is way more healthy than our current society of comparison. So before God brings Eve to Adam he actually parades all of these animals in front of him. And I think this has got some humor right there. Like if, you, if you're Adam and you're sitting there and God brings to you the manatee, right? Or, or the hairless cat. Are, if you're Adam, are, is it like, this, this isn't the one, right? I mean, I'm just, I'm just checking, just wanting to make sure. Because, because he doesn't know, right? But, but Adam has never seen another human being before and, and God brings Adam Eve to her and they've never seen one another. And they've never seen another human. And to each one, they were both the most beautiful, most incredible, most wonderful people on the planet. And Adam records these words in Genesis 2 when he says this. The man said, this is now bone of my flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. See, this is so much more healthy. And unfortunately, today has become so much more complicated. See so many different people. Right? We have so many different people to look at. With our, our society and our culture gets so much more visual and so much more technical than ever before. And from marketing to advertising to a parade of selfies that are all over, it, not to mention the fact that there's a flood of celebrity uh, pictures and, and, and selfies and, and not to mention pornographic images that you might be looking at. And, and as a result, there becomes this culture of comparison. We end up comparing our spouse to all kinds of people. Think about all the different people that you can compare them to. And it becomes this, like, basically a standard of comparison that's impossible to live up to. It's like the, the, the greatest hits of humanity. Because there's so many different people out there. There's people that, that, that have a, a generosity and people that are willing to serve and people that look a certain way and behave a certain way. And it becomes impossible for your spouse to ever live up to that comparison in life. 
But, but 1 Timothy 6.6 6 says this, godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment in our romantic relationships has this ability to give us true intimacy, true safety, and has the ability to have a really, really a connection on a soul level. But without having to have this ridiculous ability to perform to an unhealthy cultural standard that's all around us. So before we can address any of the alarms that are going off in our marriage, we need to recognize that there is this comparison thing that's going around all around us. That comparison thing is not healthy. Think about all the people that you see on a given day. People you see in the movies and, and TV and coworkers, and you walk into the store. People that you pass by on a given day. And if you think about that person, even briefly in a sexual way, think about how impossible it is for your spouse to live up to that comparison. It really is impossible. There, there's no way they could be all of those different people and ages and, and appearances. They, they could never be all of that. It's impossible. And, and for men, because I believe God made men to be more visual than women, it, it, it's a decision that we have to make inside of ourselves that we're not going to hold our wives to this impossible woman, this, this model, this movie, th this woman that is imaginary, that, that, that frankly wants sex more than you do, which by the way, some of the topics today might be a little PG-13. I guarantee you it's not going to be anything that your kids have not seen on television or heard about in school. Um, but if you want to check them into Five Stones Kids, we have age-appropriate teaching, by the way, that, that's happening there. But I do believe this, that the church has been silent about these things for far too long. The world is talking all about it, but it's time for the church to address some of these things. We shouldn't be silent about this. And, and, and men, can I just be, be honest with you? Sometimes we hold our wives to an impossible visual standard. Now, for women, it tends to be different because women tend to be, tend to be tempted emotionally more so than men are. And, and, and so for women, it might be this concept that, that this, is, this is imaginary guy out there that really his real desire is to sit and talk with you about your emotions for hours and hours on end. It's impossible. This, these people are imaginary. They're not really real. Or maybe it's, it's somebody else's husband. Like you're looking at that person and you, you've seen the way that they uh, communicate with their problems. And when they have an issue, they don't fly off the handle. Or, or maybe their job would offer you a great deal more um, security. And so you're looking at that person. And, and can I just say that that other person, that other woman's husband, is not the standard of comparison to your husband. It just cannot be. So we have, to, we have to make a decision in our lives whether or not we're going to hold our spouses to a standard that's unhealthy and not biblical or if we're going to make the standard of comparison our spouse. What we're doing a lot of times is, is called coveting, and it's a sin. We desire, we want that other person. And there's a passion inside of us that builds up. And we say, I want to have that thing, and it's not healthy. And God actually had an answer for coveting. It's, it's covenant. We talked a little bit about it last week. And, and Job has this amazing passage in Job 31, verse 1, that he said this, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully. In other words, he said, I'm making a sacred promise with my own eyes that I'm not going to look on anyone else. I'm going to only look to my spouse as the standard of comparison, because there is an ongoing battle all around us. And in order to keep my spouse as the standard of beauty in my life and the, the biggest off object of my affection and devotion, I've got to make a decision that I'm going to hold a covenant with my own eyes. I'm not going to look at anyone else. And so the question is, are you holding your wife or your husband to a standard that is not healthy or not biblical? 
Sometimes I see couples that have been paired together. Have you ever noticed this? Like God brings two people together that are totally and completely different. It's like opposites attract and then opposites attack. Have you ever noticed that? Like in marriages, in some marriages, you'll have one that is like a tightwad and the other one just wants to spend all the time right? Or, or you'll have one that is, is really like reserved and cautious and the other one just throws it all out the window. One that really follows the rules and one that, that are like, what are rules? One that likes to cuddle a lot and the other one that's like a porcupine. One that likes to talk all the time and the other one just barely grunts. One that loves sex and the other one that's crazy. <laughs> I'm trying to help you, man. I'm, I'm trying. You ought to be amen in me more. But but like in this life, like it's just interesting to me that God oftentimes will pair two people together that, that just complement each other, but they're absolutely different. And, and the reason why God does this many times is that you are designed to be the needs, to be able to meet the needs of your spouse. Relationships can be complicated, and it can be challenging. But if, if I could pick one thing that I have noticed over years, uh, years of counseling people, years of, of, of watching marriages, one thing that can destroy a marriage faster than anything, it's this word, selfishness. Selfishness has the power to destroy relationships, especially marriage. And if I were to think of one thing that could break down marriages today, I believe it would be selfishness. Why? Because I think a lot of times we walk into marriage and we walk in with this concept of how can I get happy? How can this person bring me joy? How can I be fulfilled by this person? How can this person meet my needs? Now, and I will say this, there is not a thing wrong with wanting to get your needs met and wanting to be fulfilled, but I, but I do believe this, that, that marriage is less about finding the right person and more about becoming the right person. Finding the, the, the ways that I can bring surprise and delight into people's lives, into this spouse's life. See, I've talked to people before. I was just doing premarital counseling not that long ago for a couple. And I said, why is it that you want to get married? And she looked at me, the young bride, and she said, well, he makes me so happy. And I thought, there's one of those lights that just showed up on a dashboard, right? I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's not biblical at all. A lot of times we walk into marriage thinking, I want to be married because marriage will make me happy. That's not what the Bible says at all. Marriage was designed not to make you happy, make you holy. Now, one of the cool byproducts of being holy is happiness, but God never designed marriage to make you happy. See, I, I think what we need to be doing is looking back at our spouse and thinking, how can I bring this other one, how can I bring this other person happiness, surprise, and delight in their, in their lives, rather than looking for ways to bring happiness into my own life? It's interesting to me, like, when we talk about this culture that we live in, the culture we're, we're around says, what, what, if you're not happy, then something's wrong. If they're not bringing you joy, then something's incorrect. And it promotes this concept. You know that actually was the thing that got us in, pro- in the problem in the very first place? In, the be- in just a mo- moment ago, we started talking about Genesis chapter 2, where God designed marriage. And he, he puts this together in this just, just a beautiful um, backdrop of a garden paradise and God was the one that designed marriage to be beautiful and and amazing but when we stop looking on how that we can fulfill God first and then our spouse second we started running into problems and this is actually I think the heart of where a lot of uh, of couples have a lot of issues when Adam and Eve were first put together God put them in a garden and and a lot of times I think we get this messed up We, we think that Eve was deceived and Eve was the problem with this Right, Because Eve was the one that took the fruit and ate it. But the problem is, do you know where Adam was right there in that moment? Right next to her. 
It, we, we get it in our heads that Adam was far off in the field doing something like naming zebras or something, but he, was, he wasn't. The Bible says that Eve was deceived by the serpent. She took the fruit, ate it, and gave it to her husband who was with her. Adam's whole job was to defend the garden, to be there. And God gave, her this, gave him this amazing helpmate to, to do this together. And what ended up happening is we took it in our own hands and said, God, you don't know what's, what's best for us. We do. And Adam had one job. Like, it would have been a completely different story if Adam had just stomped on that snake and brought it to God and said, hey, I don't know, this thing was talking. It was weird. It was telling some smack about you. So I stepped on it. What should I do with this, right? It would be a completely different story. But instead, Adam was right there. And both of them were deceived. And what's interesting is falling out of that story, God says some things to both of them. He talks to Eve and he says some stuff that I, I think has been uh, poorly misunderstood over the years. And it's something that can really explain how these tensions happen in our marriage. This is what God said to Eve in Genesis 3.16. He said, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Now, I've heard that misinterpreted by husbands a lot of times. And what they say is, well, see, what God is saying is that wives should be subservient to husbands. Like, wives are going to desire, but what they should really do is be subservient. Now, I could go into detail on how God took a rib out of Adam, not a, head, not a bone out of his head or his foot. Now, if he had taken it out of the head, maybe Eve would be above Adam. Or if he'd taken it out of the foot, maybe she'd be beneath. But he, say, he said, I'd take a, a rib right out of the side so they'd be together. Now, I can go into that, but, but you know that we have different roles. But what God designed when he designed it way back then was that the two would be equal. They would have different roles in the marriage, but each one would have different. So, so what does he mean by desire? Well, it's interesting to me that that same word desire is the word that is used one chapter later when they're talking to Cain, their son. And God looks at Cain and he says, Cain, sin has got a desire for you. It wants to master you, you but, but you have got to master sin. In other words, he's saying that, that sin is crouching at your door and it wants to rule over you. That word desire means impel or urge or, or seek. And so if you think about that in context of what God's saying, he's saying that, that the, the marriage is going to look different now. Women, your desire is going to, to be to rule over your husband, but husbands are going to rule, and that word is not used in a positive way. He says, you're going to want to rule over your husband, and the husband's going to rule over you. This is a new relationship that God did not design, but we extrapolate. This is how we pulled it out. And so to simplify this, this, this phrase, or the, the, to kind of paraphrase what this curse is over us, is this is exactly where all kinds of struggles come from in our marriage. This is where chauvinism comes from. This is where feminism comes from. This is where selfishness comes from. See, it's, it's this root of wanting to rule over the other instead of letting God rule and being co-laborers in this thing. I love the way James says it in the, in the message translation of James chapter 4. He says it this way, where do you think all these fights and aggression in marriage come from? Do you think they just happen? Think again. They come about because you want your own way and you fight for it deep inside of yourself. See, this is the reason why we can't look to culture to explain how godly men and women are supposed to interact and behave. You got to look to scripture because culture is going to give us all kinds of things that are, that are incorrect and wrong. Now, now, TJ and Jason gave us this little illustration. I do think one of the things that they said inside of it was actually true. He said, if you want an ultimate marriage, it's going to take work. 
right? Anything great going to take work. You're working this way. You're working that way. He said it's double work. work. Marriage takes work. A really good, godly marriage takes work. And so what I want to do today is give you just three things, three things that you can apply in your marriage to, to get rid of selfishness and to lose selflessness in your marriage. And here's the first one. If you're a note taker, you could write this down. You need to do this. You need to serve your spouse. You should serve your spouse. In John chapter 13, Jesus is with his disciples. It's the last supper, last time he's right about to go to the cross. He's going to be murdered. And what are the disciples doing? They're talking about how awesome each one of them is. They're arguing over which one is more awesome. And what does Jesus do? Jesus decides that in order to, to, to show them this, he starts serving. He says, the greatest among you will be the servant. The ones that are the greatest are the ones that serve the most. Like, you don't need a degree in marketing to understand this. The businesses that we love the most are the ones that serve the most, right? They serve us the most and make us feel like we're, we're the most incredible thing. Well, you need to serve your spouse. And this can be really challenging because we know in our flesh what we do all day, right? You come home from work and, and, and like, I, I think about... I think these hands were designed by God to lay hands on the sick and heal them and fight evil. Not full Joey's underwear. But when Deborah comes up to me, right, and says, hey, I need some help with the laundry, you know what I do? I serve my spouse. I fold laundry. I do dishes. I vacuum. I don't cook for health and reasons. But, but I serve my spouse. Why? Because I, I, I've decided in my life I'm going to humble myself and I'm going to serve her. When she calls me up and she says, hey, I've got a car loaded, groceries, come pick them up. You know what I do? My flesh rises up and I get up and then I go downstairs and I get up an armload of groceries and I bring them inside. Why? Because I've decided I'm going to, to serve my spouse and I can tote things and carry things very well. I'm very good at that, Right? And I've decided that, that I'm going to do something. And when Deborah needs something done, I'm going to do it, and I'm going to do it with a good attitude. And it doesn't just make her happy. It keeps me humble. It shows me that I, I'm not better than her. We're equals. We can both do this thing. I'm married to somebody that's going to serve me the rest of my life, and I'm going to serve her the rest of mine. And so if you want an awesome marriage, if you want a, an incredible marriage, then you have got to serve your spouse. Here's the second thing you need to do. You need to study your spouse. I'm going to share something that I feel like is, is one of the, the most powerful things that I've ever seen in a marriage. And I, I shared this a lot with a lot of different married couples because I've seen it unlock something inside of them. And I, and I hope that it, it helps you uh, as well. If you really want to, to have an incredible marriage, you, you'll study your spouse. What, is, what do I mean? Well, if you love something, you know all about it. Right? You know everything about it. You know what makes it tick. You know what, what makes it strong and what hurts it. And I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, I didn't study a whole lot in school. Why? Because it didn't interest me. Like, I just wasn't interested in it. Now, um, I, in fact, it wasn't until college that I actually started studying at all and caring about grades. But when I was in high school, I didn't study anything. Now, even though I wasn't studying for, for grades, I was studying some things, right? I was studying girls. I was studying how to make people laugh. I was studying how to have a good time. Why? Because those things were important to me. See, when you study, you study what's important to you. And can I just say this? That you'll never, you'll never study well until you learn the importance of passion, 
until you find out what you're passionate about. I want, I want you to see this verse in, in the book of Romans. And, and this is what Paul says that, that we are to interact with each other. In Romans 12, he says, love each other with a genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. This is, that verse is not even talking about marriage. So how much more impactful is it when it comes to marriage? He's saying we ought to love taking care of one another. We ought to love honoring each other. So you need to, to know your spouse. You need to know what they, they need to hear, what they enjoy, what builds them up, and stay away from the thing that tears them down. Like, um, in my family, I come from a large family. I got, uh, I'm the fourth kid of eight. There's a lot of us, right? And in my family, we have this language that we use. It sounds like English, but it's really not, right? It, it is, you ever seen the shirts that say, my, my love language is sarcasm? That, that's what it is. Like, in my family, we just, and if I love you, you'll know I'll rib you with a lot of sarcastic things. Like, if you don't understand what this looks like, like, if there was something to do, and I said we should do it this way, and you said do it that way, and we did it your way, and your way didn't work, then, then what I'll do is I'll say, well, you know, if we had done it my way, right? And me and my, my brothers and sisters, we have grown up in that. Like, I, like it's just, we dabble in sarcasm constantly. And, and I know this, and so, so we will talk to each other. Now, I don't mean anything mean by it or whatever. It's just kind of something that we do. But I have learned that Deborah hates that. She can't stand sarcasm. She didn't grow in a household where, where that was really fluent. And so I have determined that if I want to have that kind of sarcastic conversation, I'll go and call my brother up and we'll be sarcastic to one another. We'll be really mean and hateful. And at the end of the conversation, we still love each other. But I don't do that to her, right? Because she doesn't like that. It's not building her up. Now, conversely, there are some things that she loves, like Mexican food. Like, she just, like, loves Mexican. Now, it's not that I don't like Mexican food. It's that Deborah loves it so much, right? Like, after, after church today, if we're going out to lunch, if it has L in the name or Casa, you can automatically know that's where Deborah wants to go. Like, you don't even have to guess, right? And it's not that I dislike it, but I just have learned to love Mexican food more. Why? Because she loves it. Have you ever heard the phrase, like, a friend of yours is a friend of mine? That, that's the kind of things that I, I want to look for in my marriage. I want to find the things that make her happy, and I want to do more of those things and stop doing the things that, that, that don't bring her happiness. And some of you guys, when, when you think about this concept of studying, like, I talk to you, and you know some stuff about stuff that's just absolutely amazing. Like, I could talk to you, and, and like, when it comes to football, you, like, your knowledge of some stuff is absolutely impressive, you know like that next running back that's coming in from what college, how fast he can run the 40, what his favorite cereal is, and how many teeth his mother-in-law have. I mean, it's just impressive. Like when I have a conversation, we were setting up for church this morning, and, and some guys were talking about the Super Bowl, and it was just impressive how much they knew about that. But if I were to ask them, hey, what's your wife's shoe size? They're lost, Right? And some of you ladies are, are, are nodding your head at me. Well, listen, I've had some conversations with you. You know the, 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 the latest fashion trends. You know all this stuff about how to decorate a house, all kinds of stuff that you know. And, and, and you can have these carry on, these conversations. It's just absolutely impressive to me. But if I were to ask you, to describe some of the subtleties of that sport that your husband knows so well, lost, right? You couldn't do it. And my point is this, I'm not trying to beat anybody up today. Can, can I pastor you a little bit today? I'm just trying to tell you that, that you know those things so well and you, you are, are, have not studied your spouse. Like there is something, I used to be just that same exact way. If you'd asked me what Deborah's shoe size was, I'd be like, man, I, I have no idea. Which is why I enrolled myself, and this is where I want to help you out. I enrolled myself in what I call Deborah University. 
I, I put this little note app on my phone. And inside of this phone, I have an app that, that um, is just a note that says Deborah University. And it's everything that you could possibly know about her. Her favorite this, her favorite that, her favorite movie, her favorite food. What is her favorite candy? How big her shoes are? How big her pants are? What kind of shirt she enjoys and likes? If we walk somewhere and she is looking at something while we're shopping and she says, oh, I like that. I take out my phone and I take a picture of that thing. Now, she used to not know anything about it. I used to kind of keep it kind of on the sly and would do that. But I've preached about it enough times that now we'll be walking around and shopping. She said, hey, you want to take your phone out and get that little app because I, I really like the way that one looks. It comes help. It's really helpful sometimes for birthdays and Christmas. But, but the thing is, is I've made a decision that I'm going to learn. Her. Now, I, I've got to have this app because I got limited RAM. You know, there's only so much that I can fit up there. But I've decided that I want to study my spouse. Did you know there's about 7.4 billion people on the planet? 7 billion people. But God said, you only got to know one. I only got to know her. Right, I got to study her, and I want to be the greatest student of hers ever because I want to know her better than you. Because if there's somebody in this room that knows her better than me, buddy, we're going to talk. I want to know why, right? Because I've, been, I've made a decision that I'm going to become a voracious learner of my spouse. I'm going to be a student, and I don't have any shame when it comes to this. Like if I see you doing something good in your life, I'm going to pull you off to the side. If, I don't care if it's about parenting or about marriage or what, and I'm going to say, hey, teach me how to do what you're doing because I want to learn. See, I want to be a student of my spouse. I want to study her. Now, a good student asks a lot of questions. You see, he asks questions like, how am I doing? Do you feel loved? Do you feel appreciated? And if you want to be a next level student, you have to move based on those answers. You know, if, if they look at you and say, man, I don't. I don't feel like you're appreciating me. I don't, I don't feel like I'm loved. Don't, don't get offended by this. By the way, this works in every relationship, not just marriage. If, if you ask your son or your daughter or your friendship, you have a friendship, you say, hey, how am I doing as a friend? And they tell you, don't get upset. They're telling you the information. Take that information with you and apply it. So you got to serve your spouse and you got to study your spouse. Here's the third thing. You need to sacrifice for your spouse. We talked a little bit about this last week. What does it mean to sacrifice for your spouse? Well, let me tell you this. Sometimes it means you need to give up your right to be right. Ladies, can I just tell you this? Sometimes if it, it means that you need to sacrifice your opinion in some things. Like, I, I know that you're right. I, I know that you feel like... Like, he's wrong about that. Just let him get to the directions on his own. Like, he'll get there, okay? Sometimes you need to sacrifice your opinion on how he's putting that together. It's okay if he has to take it back apart. It's all right. You need to sacrifice that. This means, guys, when you come home from work, right, you need to sacrifice some energy. And I don't care that your wife, that your wife has come there and met you at the door and your boss is a jerk and those customers make you want to punch him in the throat. It doesn't matter. You need to sacrifice that and sacrifice that energy. I've seen husbands come into a, a, a room where they haven't seen their wife all day and they go, hey, and then they move on. And it's just that quick. But let the dog come up. And it's, hey, buddy, come on, pal. They play with him. And the wife is standing there thinking, I think I'm going to lay down on the floor and pretend to wag a tail because maybe then I could get some attention out of him. And the husband's over there thinking, well, at least the dog's happy to see me, you know? Sometimes it means that you need to sacrifice your, your energy. I think when you come home, when you see each other, if you've been working all day and you haven't seen one another, you need to come home and give each other a seven-second hug and a kiss. Seven seconds. Some of you are looking at me like, seven seconds? It's seconds, not minutes, people. Okay? 
And, and I know some of you guys are engineering. Like, this is not one of those things like you hug and you go like, one, two, three, four. No, it's not like that. Did you know that science has told that, that women need seven to ten non-sexual touches every day? Seven to ten. And that's not like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And it's not ten. Come on, come on, I know you guys. I know what you're thinking. Right? So your wife needs seven to ten non-sexual touches. These are touches that don't lead to anything. And it gets really quiet in the room. Like you husbands are like, oh no, she knows. Yes, she knows. It's not a secret, okay? Like she knows what you're trying to do. Sometimes you just need to reach over. Can I just be real with you? I'm trying to pastor you today. Sometimes, guys, you need to reach over and just hug, hug her. Hold her hand. Put your hand on her. And it's not a move, right? You're not trying to lead to anything. It's just, it's just, you're just, she, she needs this, right? Now, now for ladies, um, guys, guys want physical touch too, but when we talk about touch, we mean intimacy. That's, that's exactly what we mean, right? right? They, they, they did a scientific study on when guys want to have sex the most. This is interesting to me. The, the study has shown that guys want to have sex the most on days of the week that start with T, like Tuesday and Thursday, and today and tomorrow, and Tatterday and Tunday. <laughs> I love that joke because there's an element of truth to every joke, right? Guys want this. Like th th this is, for, for guys, all jokes aside, th this is a primary need. When they've done a study on this, a real study, they found that for most part, for men, sexual intimacy is number one uh, or number two, possibly number three. They actually did the same study. You know what they found out? Um, women, uh, on average, ranked sex as number 13, right under gardening with my spouse. <laughs> so, so in other words, your spouse, your wife would rather pull weeds with you than <laughs> like this is what the science says, right? The average woman in the hierarchy of needs, this is not important, but for guys it is. In fact, I, I saw this thing about how to impress a woman. This is, is how you impress your wife. You wine her, dine her, hug her, support her, hold her, surprise her, compliment her, smile at her, listen to her, laugh with her, cry with her, romance her, encourage her, believe in her, pray with her, pray for her, cuddle with her, shop with her, give her jewelry, buy her flowers, hold her hand, write love letters to her, Go to the end of the earth and back again for her. And this is how you impress a man. Show up naked. <laughs> Bring chicken wings is optional. It's a, it's a, it's a possibility there. See, when you, when you make a decision to sacrifice for your spouse in your marriage, it changes the atmosphere. It changes everything. The greatest marriages, can I just be real with you for a minute? The greatest marriages I've ever seen are two servants in love. Two people that love one another. So much that in a healthy way, they're going to outserve one another. And your sacrifice cannot be based on how much they've sacrificed for you because that just isn't going to work. I, I think it's amazing that the Lord said that we are, husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. He said, wives, you're supposed to, last week we talked about this verse in Ephesians, about wives, you're supposed to respect your husbands. See, the, the interesting thing to me is that Christ said, you want to know how I love the church? Let me give you a picture of how much I love the church. Look at a godly man and how he responds to his wife. He gives that out of all the illustrations. He could have chose anything. And he said, you, you want to see how I love my church? Look at how a godly man loves his wife. You want to see how the church is supposed to respond back to God? Look at how 
a bride, a godly woman, responds to her husband. He says, that's, that's the way it's supposed to look. This is how my church is supposed to look. Christ loved the church. He loved the church so much that he died for you. He sacrificed for you. That there was nothing that he wouldn't hold back for you. There's a very real battle going around, all around. The enemy hates your marriage, wants to destroy your marriage, wants to do anything that he can to see your marriage destroyed. I absolutely believe that. In this day, in this age, he's trying to undermine what, what marriage is and what it looks like and what, how he's designed it. And the truth is, guys, you'll probably not have to love your wife in, in the way that, that Christ loved the church. You probably won't have to die to protect her. I mean, it, it could happen one day. But you know what's more realistic? That you would just die to the things that you think are more important. Wives, you want to you figure out how to love your husbands. Respect them. Bring, bring home an attitude of respect to your husband. Love him. See, I think husbands and wives ought to respect and love one another, sacrifice for one another. And if you would do this, you would see something sh- shift something change inside of your homes, something incredible. The truth is you can't give what you don't have. And if you've never received love, unconditional love, you'll never be able to give it away. If you've never known what it's like to be truly forgiven of sin, to know that I've done something wrong, I've gone in the wrong direction, I have failed, I have missed the mark, I have not done it right, and somebody said, you know what, that's okay, I forgive you, and I'll move on. And not just move on, I'm gonna bless you. If you don't know what that's like, then you cannot give that away to your spouse. You never can. But that's exactly what Jesus did for you. When he died for you, he gave up himself. He gave up his ability and his right to be right. He stepped out of perfection and he said, I'm, gonna, I'm willing to take the sacrifice that you deserve to pay so that you could live the life that only I deserve.